Spring of Life Fellowship and the vision of changing the world invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Let's listen to our guest. Well, I tell you, it is, it's a, such a blessing to be here with you tonight, and uh, it's always an honor to be able to uh, share God's Word. The opportunity presents itself uh, based on a relationship or based on a friendship, and uh, uh, our family and, and your pastor's family were able to connect la- this past year as we were spending a, a little downtime here in Miami, which is not a bad place to vacation, right? Uh, not too many people come to Lubbock, Texas to vacation. I don't know why. You know, just because we don't have any trees or, or water and just a lot of flat land, I still think it's a wonderful place to come and, uh, and vacation because you know what? Trinity Church is there. We got an awesome church there in Lubbock, Texas. But uh, we had a, a great time hanging out with your, uh, your pastor and, and his family uh, the last time that we were here, and, and it was so memorable. And uh, we ate some, some awesome stone crab. I've never had that stone kind of stone crab. I mean, we actually went to where they actually harvest it, right? And uh, we took a ride on the Everglades uh, airboat, yeah, and uh, saw some alligators, you know? So uh, we, had, we had a great time, and uh, we're just honored to be back here tonight. Uh, open with me, oh, turn to me in your Bibles to the book of Psalms, the Old Testament, the book of Psalms, chapter 139, Psalm 139. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 6, and then uh, verses 13 through 18. Uh, For the chief musician, a psalm of David, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Jump over to verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they, are, uh, they all were written. The days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, Oh, God, how great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the time of praise and worship. And thank you for the ministry of, uh, of the communion elements, Lord. Thank you that we're in a good place tonight. Thank you that our hearts are open and ready to receive your word. Our minds are cleared from the clutter uh, of the things of this world. Uh, Lord, we, we come with, with uh, attention and we focus on your word now. Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit. Bring illumination to our hearts and minds from the Holy Scriptures tonight. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 
Uh, I'm here with a couple of uh, traveling companions. Uh, both of them are very important to uh, what the Lord is doing back home in Lubbock, Texas at Trinity Church. And uh, my, the first one I'll introduce is Barry Moore. He's uh, my executive pastor, and he's uh, one of our elders uh, at Trinity Church. Barry, please stand up so everybody can uh, greet you. Uh, we've been working together for 10 years. Uh, he was on the board, the, the board that selected me, uh, prayed and believed that I was to be the next pastor of Trinity. He was a part of that process, and uh, he's been a tremendous, tremendous blessing in my life uh, over the last 10 years. And then uh, one of my associate pastors, uh, Pastor Tommy Cruz, he oversees our small groups. He's one of our team lead pastors at Trinity. And uh, he's been a part of, uh, of our team now almost for five years. Uh, it changes every three, four, five, 20 years almost. <laughs> Going on 20 years. Amen. Uh, he's a great blessing. And, you know, a church really is only as strong as the team that God assembles. And uh, we, have, we have a wonderful team, a ministry team at, at Trinity. The title of my message tonight, uh, and we're not going to preach very long, is entitled Faith Lift. One word, Faith Lift. Uh, and you're like, wow, where did you... Uh, Where'd you come up with that? Well, you know, um, a lot of people in the 21st century, the culture that we're living in today, uh, they don't like the fact that they're getting older. Somehow, in our society today, we equate getting older with getting lonely. So for some people, they, they put the two together. Now, getting older, uh, as, you, as, as the outward man perishes, the inward man's being renewed, as a believer, uh, really, there is no such thing as getting older, just getting better and wiser and smarter, especially since I just celebrated my 49th birthday. I know. I don't look a day past 21. I know. That's just good genes. You know, some of us have those good genes. Um, but now that I'm getting close to 50, that's like half my life is over. I've spent the first half of my life like climbing the mountain, climbing the Now I'm almost at the peak and I'm ready to like shoot, just to shoot straight down. It's like I'm picking up speed as I'm going, right? But I've got this blessed hope that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live forever. And I'm not gonna, it doesn't, I don't wait till I die before I can live forever. I'm living forever right now. Amen? I'm experiencing, we can experience eternity right now. But for so many Americans, getting older means you're getting lonelier. So we have all types of things now in the 21st century that can prevent people from getting older. Things like live cell therapy, Botox injections, liposuction, placenta extracts, silicone augmentation, teeth whiteners, uh, phony tans, anti-wrinkle creams, hair coloring, hair implants, skin rejuvenators, etc., etc. You look at a person today, you wonder, are you real or are you a mannequin? <laughs> According to the American Society of Plastic Surgeons, more than 12 million plastic surgery procedures were performed in the United States just uh, this past year, an increase of more than 60% over the previous eight years, it's estimated that more than $10 billion a year is spent on cosmetic surgeries. There's even a new procedure now called threading. Threading. Known as the thread lift. The thread lift. Uh, or the feather lift. Or the one-stitch face lift. 
And this cosmetic surgery involves doctors uh, pulling uh, gossamer uh, thin strings uh, through the sagging areas of the face and neck. Uh, and according to a report in USA Today, threading not only returns a quote-unquote youthful appearance to sagging necklines, but it can be completed without invasive surgery and with nearly no pain in 45 minutes. You're already saying, hey, where can I sign up for that, Pastor? Well, we have a table in the back. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Some have called this the lunchtime beauty fix, okay? Because it can be done so quickly with minimum pain. Yeah. Uh, but at an estimated seven to $8,000 for the full treatment. Now, it comes to no surprise that we live in such a vanity-conscious culture, Right? I mean, it's thrown at us in our face every day. You turn on the TV, you see a billboard, you, you look at a magazine, and it's like the glorification of the flesh. We place so much value on what a person looks like, outwardly speaking, your physical appearance. But I'll tell you what, no matter how hard people work at maintaining their physical appearance, you can't keep it up. It's unsustainable. You know, uh, Joan Rivers, she's uh, known for her humor. And she once attended a Botox birthday party uh, at which several Beverly Hills socialites celebrated a friend's birthday by having Botox injections. Can you believe that? into their muscles and their foreheads and, and around their eyes, you know, to remove the crow's feet and, and squinty lines. And the party, she said, was extraordinarily uh, successful with one exception. When the cake was brought out, no one could blow out the candles. <laughs> okay, right. so, so why is it? Why are we so obsessed with appearance in our society? Uh, there's an underlying spiritual question, an underlying spiritual question related to this that really has a theological answer. The issue has something to do with being accepted, being accepted, and arriving at a place in, uh, at which theologian Paul Tillich called the grace to accept that you are accepted. The grace, the grace to accept that you are accepted just as you are, by God's mercy and by the open invitation of Jesus when he walks up to you and me and says, I've chosen you, I've selected you, I have appointed you, now follow me. <laughs> the two most beautiful words a human being can hear out of the mouth of God the two most beautiful words a human being can hear out of the mouth of God. Follow me. That says it all. Follow me. Become one of my disciples. Live with me. Share life with me. Do life with me. That's what Jesus is saying when he calls you to serve him. He says, follow me. How meaningful is that? I mean, if, if, you, if you were an aspiring NFL football player, okay, and, um, you know, well, Miami doesn't have a quarterback right now, so let, let's talk about another team. Uh, let, let's, let's say, uh, who's your favorite quarterback? 
Okay. Dan Marino, okay. Let's say Dan Marino went up to the, a young kid that's an aspiring football player and says, you know what? Follow me. Come hang out with me. You'd be like, you're kidding me. An opportunity of a lifetime to learn from one of the greatest of all time, right? Or what if Tim Tebow came up to you and said, follow me? Now, single ladies, I'm not, that's not, this is not for you, okay? Because I know what would happen. He just showed up at a church this past weekend. He showed up at a church in Las Vegas. True story. He showed up at a church in Las Vegas. 20,000 people showed up. 19,500 single women and then a few men. <laughs> now, it is a true story. I don't know what the demographic breakup was. I'm sure it was close to something like that. We're bringing Tim Tebow to Trinity Christian School. And uh, in the month of April, this next month, he's going to be in Lubbock, Texas. And uh, it's completely a sold-out event. We're raising money for our, our nonprofit school. And you wouldn't believe that the moms that have sent us emails, can, can, my, can you give this picture of my daughter to Tim? Can, can you arrange a meeting? with? Like, are you all kidding me? Wow. So when Jesus says, follow me, that's the king of glory inviting you into relationship with him. It's... Accepting the fact that you are accepted, not because of who you are, but because of who Christ is and because he loves you unconditionally. I mean, wow, it's amazing, absolutely amazing. And now, am I saying that getting any kind of cosmetic surgery is evil or sinful? I'm not saying that. I mean, you know, hey, more power to you, whatever, okay? But I'm simply saying that behind all of that is this sense that People won't accept, accept me for who I am. People won't love me for who I am. And so we're constantly trying to change and to alter and to modify and to enhance because we feel so insecure about who we are and what we are. Here in Psalm 139, David doesn't give us information or, or share with us about a thread lift, but what he does speak to us about is a faith lift. You see, people, I, I meet more and more people who, you know, I, I don't care whether they get the thread lift procedure or not, but you know what they need? They need a faith lift because they have drooping, sagging faith, okay? And that's, all, all, that's somewhat oxymoronic. How can a Christian be a Christian. How can you be a Christian and have drooping, sagging faith? Kind of a woe is me outlook to life. Woe is me mentality to life. I mean, it, it just those two do not go together. And in Psalm 139, it is a psalm that will lift your faith. It will cause your faith to soar. It will cause your faith to soar as you realize three things about God. The three things that David wanted to make sure we understood from Psalm 139, these three things is that are, are, are here, here they are. God cares for me. God created me. God considers me. Say that with me. God cares for me. God created me. God considers me. Look to your neighbor and say, God cares for you. Tell him that. Tell, tell the other neighbor, God created you. And then uh, point, point to yourself and say, God considers me. <laughs> now, what makes these three statements paramount? What makes these three statements so important? Listen, what we think about God is important. 
because it determines how we think about ourselves and what we think about everything else in our world, okay? Including all of the contemporary and cultural issues of our day. The way you think about God is important because it will determine how you think about yourself and it determines how you think about the world you live in. Related to the cultural issues that are confronting us, abortion, same-sex marriage, cohabitating relationships, living outside of a marriage covenant. You see, these become controversies and problems only when we cease viewing our life and viewing the world the way God views our life and the way God views the world and his plan, which is a perfect plan versus the world's plan for your life and my life, which is an imperfect plan. Psalm 139 is a deep and a moving prayer because God refer, is referred to six times by a personal pronoun. Uh, God, God is referred to six times and then by personal pronoun 30 times in Psalm 139, which gives us a picture, listen, of an intimate bond between God and another human being. That God is wanting to get up close and personal with us. He's wanting to have an intimate, bonded relationship with each of us. It's mind-boggling. Uh, David, on another occasion, said, Who is man that you're mindful of us? Or the son of man that you visited us? In other words, God, why would you even give us a second thought? But the three things, once again, God cares for me, God created me, God considers me. Uh, the first one, God cares for me. One of my favorite verses is 1 Peter 5, 7. And it says, cast all of your care upon the Lord because he cares for you. Uh, every day we uh, go through life and uh, life has its challenges and life has its heartaches and life has its heartbreaks. And there are many of you in here tonight, you're carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders right now. And it's, it's no fun, I know. I mean, I, we've all been there. And uh, you're, you're, you've got this concern about your marriage, you're this concern about your, your personal life, or this concern about an addiction you may be battling, or you, you, you have a care that you're carrying around with you about your finances. And it's as though the weight of the world is just weighing you down. And Peter says, cast all of your care upon him. Because you know what? God cares about you. He's not some uh, celestial being that, that's detached from your life and your existence. He's not. He cares about everything that's going on in your life. I think the four most important words in the Bible could be, he cares for you. Right there. He, God, cares for you. Uh, he knows everything about you, and yet he still cares about you. <laughs> you know? I mean, hey, if most people knew everything about us, we wouldn't have any friends, right? So the one person that knows everything about you is God. And he's still crazy for you. I mean, he still loves you, right? That's, that's mind-boggling to us. There was a small town prosecuting attorney. And he called his, his first witness to the, uh, to, the, to the stand in a trial. And a grandmotherly elderly woman um, was the first witness. And uh, the prosecuting attorney approached her, and he asked, Mrs. Jones, do you know me? She responded, why, yes, I do know you, Mr. Williams. I've known you since you were a young boy, and frankly, you've been a big disappointment to me. You lie, you cheat on your wife, uh, you manipulate people, and you talk about them behind their backs. 
You think that you're a, a, a rising big shot when you haven't the brains to realize you will never amount to anything more than a two-bit two -bit paper pusher. <laughs> well, to say the least, man, he was absolutely shocked. He didn't know what to say. He was stunned, and then he looked over across the room, and, and he saw the defense attorney. And so he thought, well, Mrs. Jones, do you know, do you know him? Do you know uh, Mr. Bradley, the, the defense attorney? And again, she said, well, yes, I do. I've known him since he was a youngster, too. I used to babysit for him. Uh, and he, too, has been a real disappointment to me. He's lazy. He's bigoted. He has a drinking problem. The man can't build a normal relationship with anyone, and his law practice is one of the shoddiest in the entire state. Yes, I know him. At that point, the judge, the judge wrapped the courtroom in silence. He called both the prosecuting attorney and the defense attorney up to his bench, and he leaned over quietly, and he said to both of them, if, if either of you ask her if she knows me, I'll hold you in contempt of court and throw you in jail. <laughs> God knows you, and yet he loves you. If that's not enough to melt a human heart, I don't, I don't know what is. While we were yet sinners, Christ came and he died for us. If while you were a sinner in rebellion against God, if God sent his son, his very best, and Jesus voluntarily came for you when you were at your worst, what do you think he would do for you now as his child? And then he said, God created me. Verses 13 through 16, Paul des uh, David describes how fearfully and wonderfully made we are. That you were made in the very image and likeness of, of God. And that's just mind-boggling. Dr. Richard Pratt, professor of Old Testament at Reformed Theological Seminary, he points out that the image of God, what it represented uh, in the day of Moses, and what it represented to the Jewish people was that it was a reference to the rule of a king. The image of God is a reference to the rule of a king. Remember, they came up to Jesus one day, and they said, is it lawful to pay taxes? He says, well, show me one of your Roman coins. And they showed him a Roman coin, and he said, whose inscription is on that Roman coin? And they said, Caesar. He said, therefore, great. He said, render to Caesar what's Caesar's, but render to God what's God's. So an image was used and not only in the Old Testament, the times of Moses, but also in the, in the New Testament, in the times of Christ, an image was used to speak of a ruler. When an ancient king would conquer a new land, he would order the artisans to fashion statues in his image of himself. And he would place them throughout the entire land that had just been conquered. And these served as a constant reminder to everyone who was king. Remember when our troops went into Iraq and there was a statue of Saddam Hussein, they pulled it down. When communism fell, they pulled down the Stalin uh, uh, statue. The image represented who is the conqueror and who is the king. God did the same thing when he created human beings. The expression image of God designated human beings as representatives of the supreme king of the universe. You, my friend, were created in the image and the likeness of God. And don't you know that Satan, because he can't get to God, he wants to mar the image of God in you and in me through drugs, through alcohol, through pornography, through perversion, through all the sins of the flesh. Nineteen of them are listed in, first, in Galatians chapter 5. Why? To mar the image of God in us. 
But then you were recreated. Listen, uh, the highest status in the universe is to be under the Trinity. I mean, that God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, they're all by themselves, right? But underneath that, God created man, not angels, man in his image and his likeness. That's the highest order of created beings. But there's now a new higher order above that. What is it? When you are born again and you be, now belong to Christ. Now, you're not only created in the image and likeness of God, but now you have become a son of God. You see, not everybody in the world is created in the image and likeness of God. Everybody. Everybody. Everybody is a creature of God, but not everybody's a child of God, right? I mean, Jesus told the, the Pharisees, says, you are of your father, the devil, right? So when you become a Christian, you give your life to Jesus, you become a child of the living God. God cares for me. God created me. And then finally, God considers me. In verses 17 and 18 of Psalm 139, David says, How precious are your thoughts concerning me, O God. How vast the number they are. If I try to count them, there would be none of them. Then, then, then they're more than the grains of the, of the sand. When I wake up, I'm still with you. How many of you are parents in here? Okay. Um, well, you really don't know love until, you, until you're a parent, right? And until you stress over your kids. You know, uh, can you imagine as parents how many thoughts we think about our kids every single day? How many thoughts a parent thinks about their child before they're even born? And then all the thoughts, I mean, millions and millions and millions of thoughts that you have towards your children um, until your life expires this side of eternity. It's hard to comprehend all of those those thoughts that we think in a, in a single day. The thoughts about their needs and about their wants and their desires and their hopes and their dreams and, and who they're going to marry and, and all of that. All those thoughts. How you think about a person determines really what you think about that person. Could you imagine all the thoughts that God thinks about you and about me? And they're all good thoughts, really, aren't they? Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. I know the thoughts I think towards you. Thoughts of peace, shalom, thoughts of blessing, thoughts of prosperity, thoughts of goodness. God's constantly thinking new creative ways to, to bless you. And yet sometimes we, we kind of serve God at a distance because we either don't perceive him as he is, and, and we have a, uh, a distorted view of God, or because we have a distorted view of ourselves, and we live distant from God when we don't have to. So here's my question as we bring this to a close. What would change in your life, beginning tonight? What would change in your life if you begin to think better thoughts about God? and better thoughts about yourself. What would change in your life if you begin to think better thoughts about the people you love? How would you feel if you started treating yourself better? Because you see, really, you can't treat others better until you start treating yourself better, until you have self-respect, self-love, 
Jesus said, we're to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, and therein is the problem. We really hate ourselves for reasons unknown. We shouldn't. You see, there's nothing about your physical appearance that you need to change. Listen to me. There's nothing about your physical appearance where you need to change where God is concerned. He accepts you, and he loves you just as you are. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. Of the billions of people that live on planet Earth, of the millions and millions of people that have come before us, no two people are alike. That's how unique and special, how rare and how valuable you are. Remember when Samuel went to Jesse's house in the Old Testament, first Samuel, and he was going to anoint the next king over Israel. And remember, uh, Jesse had how many sons? He had eight sons. And seven of them were in the house. And uh, the, the, oldest, the oldest son was Eliab, right? And when Samuel the prophet walked into Jesse's house and he saw Eliab, he was tall, dark, and handsome. Like all of our ushers tonight. Okay? And, uh, and when Samuel saw, I saw some of the ushers back say, oh, yeah, he's talking about me. Amen, brother, Pastor Carl. Uh, when, when Samuel saw Eliab, he said, this is the Lord's anointed. I mean, you can't get any better than this guy. Man, he's got, he's got it down. He has got what it takes. And God rebuked Samuel. What did he tell him? He said, man looks at the outward, but God looks at what? Looks at the heart. You know what Samuel was suffering from? He was suffering from not, not racism, not sexism, not ageism, but the worst ism. Lookism. Because he looked at Eliab the way man looks. And man places so much value on the outward appearance. But you know what God looks at? He looks at your heart. Because that's what counts. And that's what matters. Your heart. And as a man thinketh, so is he. What would change in your life beginning tonight if you begin to think better thoughts about yourself? If you begin to see yourself the way God sees you? If you really would come to that place where you know that you know no matter what goes wrong, no matter what, what goes haywire in your life, no matter what helter-skelter you may be going through or you may face in the future, God forbid, if you have solidified these three truths in your life, God cares for me, God created me, God considers me. Imagine how different your life could be moving forward. I'd like every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, there are people whose faith needs to be lifted, whose faith has been sagging, whose faith has been dragging, whose, whose faith has been trampled on by others. God, I pray now that you would give them a spiritual faith lift right now. Around those three great truths, God cares for you. God created you. God loves you. He has chosen and called you to be his very own. Stop fighting. Stop resisting. Stop selling yourself short. Surrender right here, right now, tonight, right where you're seated. Say, God, take me. Take all of me. In your own heart of hearts, just say that, Lord, take me. Take all of me. Say, Father, thank you that I know tonight and I have been reminded tonight by your word and the power of your Holy Spirit, you care for me. You created me. And God, you consider me. Your thoughts towards me are thoughts of peace, not of evil, 
to give me a future and to give me a hope. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Now, Father, solidify and seal that word in every heart. Now, heads bowed and eyes closed if you're here tonight. And you don't know the Lord Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior. Or maybe you've known him, but you haven't been walking with him, and you want to rededicate and recommit your life to Jesus tonight. For one of those two reasons, either to accept him for the very first time or rededicate your life to the Lord. Heads bowed, eyes closed, and believers praying. If that's you, just lift your hand up. I want to pray for you right where you're seated, but just lift your hand up. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you, my friend. Thank you, Lord. God bless you, sir. Yeah, I see your hand. God bless you, ma'am. I see your hand. Thank you. Thank you. You can put them down. Okay, one last time. If you haven't already raised your hand, you want to be included in this prayer, just lift up your hand. Lift up your hand. If you haven't already done it. All right, let's just pray this prayer together. Dear God in heaven, out loud together. Dear God in heaven, I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. I call upon you, Jesus. I ask you now, come into my heart. Come into my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. I turn from sin. I turn to the true and living God. And I receive his love, his grace, and his forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.